0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina.
1: I think someday in heaven we will be amazed to find all the places where God intervened in ways that we didn't even know what He was doing and how He was accomplishing this thing. I think He does intervene in ways that we may not always understand.
0: There's an old saying that's been heard in churches for years, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Whenever that's voiced in a church service, it's usually followed by a couple of amens. So, if that's true, why is there evil in the world?
1: More than likely, you've had somebody say, oh, how can you believe in God when this is happening in the world, or or that happens, or or a child dies of cancer, or, or that? How can you believe that God is loving and that God allows this stuff to go on? That is the problem of evil.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're in part two of a message Pastor Clay started last week discussing the problem of evil. In our series, the I Am series, we're looking at some of the things about God that are harder to understand. And none is harder than coming to an understanding of how an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-benevolent God could allow evil to exist in this world. Last week we looked at three possible solutions for the problem of evil.
1: God is not real. That's one of the possible solutions. People well, God's just not real. The second one we looked at was that evil is not real. And that one won't cut it either because it's simply not grounded in reality. And then the third is that God is not in control.
0: Pastor Clay showed us that all three of those possible solutions come up short. Well, today we're going to take a look at two more and hopefully learn more about the great I am. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message.
1: Last week, we began to discuss a subject that I said may be perhaps the most difficult to grasp of all. Certainly for those outside of the church, people who who are not followers of Jesus, or perhaps don't even know if they believe in God, uh, this subject that we are discussing last week and this week is perhaps the most difficult one for them. And it is a discussion about the great I Am and the problem, what is known as the problem of evil. The problem of evil. It has been discussed and debated and probably fought over for hundreds if not thousands of years. The problem of evil uh, basically looks like this. If an omnipotent, which means all-powerful, if an omniscient, which means all-knowing, if an omni all-good, kind, loving God, if he exists, then evil cannot exist because because surely an all-loving, all-kind God would not allow evil to exist if he had the power to do something about it. That's how the uh, argument was originally stated basically by the Greek uh, philosopher Epicurus. Then evil cannot exist. So number 2, there is evil in the world, therefore an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent God does not exist. That in a nutshell is the problem of evil. And you have, perhaps at some time in your life, at home, in your neighborhood, with a family member, at, in the workplace, you've had somebody, for, more than likely, you've had somebody say, oh, how can you believe in God when, when this is happening in the world, or, or that happens, or, or a child dies of cancer, or, or that, how can you believe that, that, that God is loving and that God allows this stuff to go on? That is the problem of evil. And last week, we looked at uh, three Possible solutions that have been postulated, or been put forward uh, for trying to resolve the problem of evil. And uh, I was no, uh, I didn't make it a secret that, uh, that these three possible solutions, in my opinion, fall far short. Uh, they won't cut it. And we began <clears throat> by looking at this one that said that God is not real. That's one of the possible solutions. People, well, God's just not real. And, that's, and so it just, it's just the way that it is. And uh, as I said last week, that it won't cut it because the the evidence uh, for the existence of God, quite honestly, is simply too overpowering uh, to to lend much credence to this belief that God's just not real. Now, there's too much empirical evidence uh, toward the existence of of God and Creator, and the fact that the vast majority of the world believes in some concept or idea of god so uh, we talked about that one last week the second one we looked at was the that evil is not real and i told you that that sounds ridiculous but there's a significant number of people that would hold to that view well evil not doesn't really exist it's an illusion it it, it just it, it's not really there and i said that that one won't cut it either because it, it's simply not grounded in reality anybody that has been alive on this planet for more than five minutes, has experienced some type of pain or suffering or hurt or betrayal or or something or some combination thereof. Maybe five minutes is an exaggeration, but, but you get my point. Evil is a reality in this world. So that won't cut it either. And then the third uh, possible solution that we looked at last week and that we spent the most time on, is that God is not in control. Well, God just must not be in control. Maybe He's good, maybe He, he loves but He just doesn't have all uh, control. And no, we, we looked at that one too and walked through uh, why it simply is not a valid uh, solution to the problem of evil, primarily because it creates more problems than it actually solves. Uh, if you say, well, well, God's not in control, and so, okay, so that's how you, that's how you come to a, a resolution on how God can be good, but... But there can be evil. God's just not in control. It creates more problems than it solves. And we looked at those uh, last week, some of the problems that it solves. Okay? All right? All right. So, uh, I know it's Fourth of July weekend. I know y'all probably got the grills fired up already. A lot of people probably made their way to the beaches and that kind of stuff. Uh, But hang with me here for a few minutes as I share what I believe are the only other two possible solutions to the problem of evil. What's the problem of evil? What is the problem of evil? Do you remember? If God, basically, if God is all good, all powerful, and all knowing, he wouldn't let evil exist. Evil exists, so there must not be a God. Now, we know there is, so, so that's why it's a problem for us. We have to resolve that problem. We can't just ignore it. As followers of Jesus, we have to say, well, how do I resolve this problem? Because I do believe God is all powerful and all good and all knowing. And I do believe evil exists in the world. So how do I resolve those two? There are, I believe, only two other possible solutions to the problem of evil. And I will say to you that I believe either of these two possible solutions are to be preferred uh, over the previous three that we looked at last week. These two that we're going to look at today, either one of them are to be preferred to the three that we looked at last week. And the reason is because both of these solutions that we will look at today uh, strongly commit to the idea that God is in control. And so therefore they do honor to God by, by stating that He is in control. And they believe uh, that, that, that biblically their position is supported by Scripture. As a matter of fact, I would say that both of the positions that we're going to look at today claim the biblical high ground. In other words, both of them would say that Scripture supports this position on the problem of evil and why evil exists. Okay, I'm going to give you which one I believe uh, best lines up with Scripture and best lines up with, with who God reveals himself to be in Scripture. I, I'm, I'm going to share with you what, with the one that I believe best lines up with it. But you have to decide for yourself which of these two views... You believe best lines up with scripture as you prayerfully walk through that decision, because I want you to understand this there have been uh, there have been there have been and there are men and women uh, throughout history who have godly men and women throughout history who have held to either one of these two positions we 're going to look at okay uh, and, and so I want you to understand that I want you to also to understand it 's okay if you don 't agree with me on on where I come down on the position of the problem of evil and what is the best resolution to that. We don't have to agree on everything, but because, I, uh, because I'm the pastor of this church, I believe it's important that I, that I share with you what I believe uh, best lines up with Scripture and reveals the God that we see in Scripture. Okay? All right, all right. Have I, have I built that up? Have at it. All right, here we go. So, so here is the fourth. We looked at three last week. Here's the fourth possible solution to the problem of evil. Alright? Fourth possible solution is this. God is in control and ordained the presence of evil. God is in control and he ordained the presence of evil. Now you probably already know this, but Webster defines ordained this way. To issue an order. When used as a verb, to issue an order. So in other words, to ordain is to issue an order, to 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 plan, to decree that it would be this way. So uh, the fourth position is that God is in control and he ordained, he planned, he controlled so that evil, uh, the presence of evil would exist in his creation. Okay? All right. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know how, how else to do this and I thought about this a lot. I don't know how else to do this except to, that it's going to come across as kind of a... Uh, Theology lesson, history lesson, all that kind of stuff, but i just didn 't know how else to do that. This uh, position has been the one that has predominantly been um, adopted by uh, some who would hold to what 's called a reformed or a calvinistic position that 's right so which some of you may hold to here in this in this place. Uh, I will, I will freely tell you uh, that, that I, I do not fall in the camp of reformed, what is known as reformed or, or Calvinistic theology. He's going to love me anyway when this is over. He's still going to love me. So the, the, it, it is, uh, that camp predominantly adopts this idea that, that God... ...is in control, God is sovereign. It places a very strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God... ...and, um, and particularly, in, I mean in all areas... ...but particularly, or most notably, in the area of our salvation. God ordained before the foundation of the world, before anything was done... ...that evil would be part of his plan. And so this position resolves the problem of evil... ...by saying that it was always God's plan for evil to exist... Therefore, there is no conflict, since God is always right, and what he does is always right, there is no conflict between saying that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and, and omnibenevolent, and evil exists. It was always God's plan for evil to exist. Therefore, uh, it's, it's, there's, not, there's not a conflict in this, okay? Now, um, I've already told you that I'm not necessarily in the camp that holds to all of the tenets or the beliefs of Calvinism. I, I absolutely would agree with some of those. And, and if you want to know more about, you know, what Calvinism is, you can talk to me or, or probably Steve later. But um, Calvinism, the, the name comes, the, that part of it called Reformed or Calvinism comes uh, from John Calvin. John Calvin was a 16th century um, theologian and pastor uh, and reformer. And if you want to know what that is, you can ask me after the service. But uh, Calvin uh, developed or, or uh, sh- put together a system of theology that places a, a great emphasis on the sovereignty of God. The, you understand what I mean by sovereignty? God is in control. God is in total control. Now, certainly, a strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God is not a bad thing. Are you all with me so far? If I haven't lost you yet? Nope. Certainly, the sovereignty of God... Everybody with me? You guys back there on the back, y'all with me? The, certainly the sovereignty of God, and emphasis on the sovereignty of God, is not a bad thing. But, I'm not necessarily in the camp that would hold to all the tenets of that belief system. So, explaining this system to you, you might say, well, he already told me he's not for this system, so uh, he's probably going to be a little biased. You're probably right. So, uh, rather than me do it, I'm going to let someone <coughs> explain to you the uh, position, this fourth position uh, From this reformed or Calvinistic position uh, Someone who holds to this position Because I want you to have I want you to have clear understanding of what it is And, and so that you can prayerfully decide Well this, yeah, I, I just I think this is, this is how it is So uh, this is from an article uh, From reform.org Website reform.org uh, Gentleman, I don't know the gentleman But he, he's writing an article On the existence of evil From the reformed position Got me? Okay, so he's writing about the existence of evil and explaining why evil exists. And here's what he says. He says, God's purpose in creating this world, and that's where you have to go. He has to go back to why God created us in the first place. And that's how you get to why we have evil. God's purpose in creating this world uh, is to most fully manifest his glory. And that the world he created accomplishes this purpose. That God's purpose in creating was to manifest or display His glory, and the world He created is the world that best displays His glory. You with me so far? God's glory is manifested through His various attributes. Scripture repeatedly speaks of four attributes which bear crucially on the problem of evil. Righteousness, justice, mercy, and grace. God has ordained ordered, planned, evil in order to display to all creation and in particular to humanity his glory in a way otherwise impossible. Namely, he has ordained, ordered, planned, man's fall and the resulting evils to demonstrate his righteousness, justice, grace, and mercy as fully as possible. Okay? So, <clears throat> uh, Doug Erlandson is saying that God's purpose in creating us is so that he could uh, display his glory, or, or I, I would say it this way, uh, that God's purpose in creating was so that he could expose his glory, and specifically or particularly uh, to humanity, so he could expose uh, his glory uh, to the world around us. Okay? So, that's, that's this position. That that's why he did it, that evil exists Uh, so that he can display some of those attributes that Ehrlichson writes about, right? So God is justified. He displays his justice and he displays his righteousness when he sends people to hell for uh, committing sins. Sins which, if I'm understanding this right, he ordained them to commit, but we won't even go down that road. Uh, he, he, He... He's, he's displaying his righteousness and justice by sending people to hell for their sins. And he's displaying his grace and his mercy by choosing a few to be uh, redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ and go to heaven. Okay? So he's displaying his attributes. And by displaying his attributes, he's displaying his glory. God is glorified by displaying righteousness, justice. God is glorified by sp- displaying mercy and grace. He's, dis- he's glorified either way. And so that's why he created us, so that he could display his glory uh, through that means. Okay? <clears throat> he, he, cre- he created us to expose his glory to us. Now, are you with me? Did I just hear a big sigh? Somebody, really? Sorry. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's where my logical, and I believe, biblical uh, conflict with this raises its ugly head, all right? This is, this is where I run into a, a problem with this. Now, I'm going to give you what I believe are, a, a, what I see, what I see as a few problems with the idea that, yes, God created everything, and before he created anything, it was his plan to create evil uh, so that uh, we would sin, he, created, he planned for us to sin so that then he could display his righteousness, his justice, his grace, and his mercy. These are some problems that, that, I, that I, I would have to work through with somebody. And they're not, they're not new, or at least a couple of them are not new. And the first one is this. It implies that God has a need to display his glory at all costs. Now, before Steve and anybody else bites through their lip, <clears throat> let me say that the Calvinists and the non-Calvinists would readily agree God needs nothing. Anybody of, of orthodox theology would absolutely say God is, God is in need of nothing. By definition, God cannot have a need. And by revelation, God has no need. So, I'm not saying that a person who holds to a Reformed or Calvinistic position believes that God has a need. A Calvinist would emphatically state, God has no need. What I am saying is that this position implies that God has a need. Because it says that God created us for the sole purpose of manifesting, as as uh, that gentleman put it, as manifesting or displaying His glory. Now, for that, a Calvinist would, a person of a foreign position, would probably agree with that. That's right. Amen. It's all about the glory of God, uh, and, and that's what this whole thing is about. Okay, okay, but let me make sure I understand this. That means that, you, that this position is saying that God created mankind. People who did not exist, he created them, and then condemned the vast majority of them to hell. We'll come back to that in a minute. For the sole purpose of displaying his glory. <clears throat> and and, and I, my question, I guess, would be, the, the, and I'll ask God, man, if I get to heaven, and God says, dude, you're lucky I didn't strike you dead. You were so wrong on that. Yeah, yeah. And I get there, and, and uh, cause I'll, I'll, I'll ask him, uh, cause I, why? why? Why create a group, uh, why create a, a, a world, why create a, a, a people that don't even exist? They that don't, that don't even exist just so you can display your glory. I'm just saying it implies that God somehow had a need to display His glory, and we know God has no need. God cannot have a need, and so I, I can't reconcile how uh, these two come together. Now I know, I know God does not bend His knee to the to the uh, to the to humanity's reason. Okay, I understand that God does not bend His knee to anybody. He does not have to explain Himself to anybody. I'm just saying I can't reconcile that idea. With who I see Scripture revealed to be, who, who Scripture reveals God to be, I, I have a problem with that. It seems to imply to me that God has a need. All right, here's, here's a here's a second problem I, I see. It makes God the originator of sin. This is not new. People have brought this up. And by the way, a uh, reform person with reforms has answers for these. And and, uh, and I'll get to some brief thing before we quit. But but it makes God the originator of sin because God ordained everything. God planned, from before he created anything, it was his plan for man to fail, for man to sin, for man uh, to commit a sin and thereby introduce evil into the world. And I don't know how you get around the fact that that makes God the originator of sin. Now, a reformed person would say every person is responsible for their own sins. okay. I, I agree. But if you hold to this fourth position, would you would you say that God is in charge and in control of every single thing that has been, is, or ever will be? God is in total control over it and God totally planned everything that will ever happen on this earth was planned by God. If you hold to the fourth position, you you must respond to that question by saying, yes, I believe that God has total control over everything that uh, that he, he planned. To, as the gentleman put in the article, that he planned it from before the foundation of the world for uh, evil to exist and for all these things to happen. Now, for me, carried to its logical conclusion, that means that God planned for a drunk person to get behind a wheel and kill a family. Or God planned for Hitler to exterminate six million Jews. Or God planned for and on and on, we could go with this. But if he knew it before anything, I mean planned it before anything, if he planned it, it was all part of his sovereign plan in order to display his glory, it seems to me that makes God the author or the originator of sin. And again, I can't reconcile that with the God that I see revealed In Scripture, and matter of fact, in the book of James, you're probably familiar with this passage of Scripture, when James says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Implication he does not tempt anyone to do evil or with evil or or anything else. So, um, I, I, I just can't, I can't get my mind around that idea. I think there's a better solution than to say God planned it all in advance. And then there's, there's one more uh, problem that I see with it, which actually my son Travis first originally voiced this uh, to me. I've never heard anybody else uh, bring this up, uh, but I really believe that it's a valid question that should be asked uh, when we talk about the sovereignty of God and did he plan everything to happen. Here's one of the problems that I, I see with it. It creates a conflict with the goodness of God. Now listen to me, not because he sends people to hell, God is absolutely justified in sending people to hell. It is part of his his nature. It's part of his attributes. It's part of who he is. He is a just God. In fact, he would not be a good God if he were not also a just God. So it's not that that God sends deserving sinners to hell that conflicts with his goodness. You with me? God's perfectly justified. If people reject him, Uh, they are sinners. They deserve hell. That's where they go. God's perfectly justified in doing that. Here's where I see the problem. If God is glorified either way, right? What did we say earlier? He's glorified for sending deserving sinners to hell, and he's glorified for uh, saving undeserving sinners for heaven. He's glorified either way, right? And I think the the Reformed and the non-Reformed would be in agreement in that, that God is glorified either way when, when he sends deserving people to hell or when he sends undeserving people to heaven, he's glorified. Then this would be my question. If that's true, if he's glorified either way, then wouldn't it seem like that his love and, and goodness and kindness, which are also attributes of God, and remember, one doesn't cancel out the other, wouldn't his love and goodness and kindness cause him to, to be glorified by sending more to heaven than he sends to hell? Do you, you understand what I'm asking? If, if, if he's glorified either way, wouldn't a good God want to save more than, than, than he sends to hell? It, it certainly seems that way in Scripture. Uh, Ezekiel, I think, chapter 18. Uh, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that they should turn from his ways and live? And so it, it certainly implies that God would desire for more people to be in heaven than would be in hell. And yet, we find exactly the opposite to be the case. Apparently, Apparently, there will be far more people in hell than there are in heaven. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I think script and that's just one. I think there's multiple scriptures that would imply that there'll be far more people in hell than there are in heaven. Now I don't know how many people will be in heaven. I'm sure it's going to number at least into the millions, but whatever number it is, it apparently w- will be far significantly less than the number that will be in hell. And it seems to me, I realize I'm a human, I re- but it seems to me if God is is Love, First John four eight. If he's if he's gracious, if he's kind, if he's righteous, if he's just, if he's all those things, it seems to me that God would would if he's glorified either way that he would glorify himself by putting more in heaven than, than choosing more for heaven than he chose for hell, or at least make it a fifty fifty split. So so I, I see a problem with that in that it just seems like well, if he's glorified either way, why wouldn't why are more going to hell than to heaven unless they are have a free will choice in this somehow. That's, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, that, was, that was God's... Oh, no, I better not. So I'm going get, to get myself in trouble. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> okay. So, now, listen to me. Um, a person who holds this position, a person who would be more reformed, as I said a moment, they will have a response to this. And part of that response, and I encourage you, talk to... to to somebody that holds to this position and and get their take on it, whatever. But part of their response certainly will be Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, Romans 9, I'm telling you. A Calvinist will pull Romans 9 on you faster than a Kardashian sister can take a selfie. They will will pull Romans 9 on you. Now, I'm not discounting Romans 9. I'm not. Obviously, it's in the Word of God. It's it's applicable. And obviously, we can't do a full exegesis of Romans 9 today. But Romans 9... Uh, But keep this in mind, in Romans 9, Paul is is talking about the sovereignty of God. He's not dealing with free will choices. He's not dealing with personal choices. He doesn't even mention in there because that's not what he's dealing with. He's dealing totally with the sovereignty of God. And he's doing it in the context of sharing with the nation of Israel why they were chosen. And it wasn't because they were better. It wasn't because they were first. It wasn't because they were bigger. It wasn't because they were brighter. God simply, in his sovereignty, chose the nation of Israel uh, for his kingdom purposes that he had. And so Israel and no person has the right to say, Hey, hey, I don't, I don't like what you're doing with me. I, I don't like the way you created me. And there's that, that, that part in there where he says, can the, can the clay say to the potter, I don't like what you made me into. Right? So, so the, 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 And to that, every single one of us should say, Amen, that's right. We have no right to think that we can tell God what he can or can't do with our lives. But what I would remind you is that God cannot act other than himself. God is who he is and he will not act out of character. And the fact that God can do anything he wants doesn't mean that he will be other than he is. If God is a God of justice and righteousness and love and holiness and mercy. And if he's all those things that make him who he is, they are God. That's who he will reveal himself to be. So Yes, Romans 9 is emphasizing the sovereignty of God, but it does not mean that God will act other than he, than he is. Okay, now quickly, let me try and do this as quickly as I can. Fly through, and then we can, we can all sit down and have coffee afterwards and debate it some, some night. You can, you can, all right. So, here, so here's, here's the view that I believe better fits it. I said that the last view, uh, God is in control, and he ordained the presence of evil. I think a better way to look at it is to say that God is in control and ordained the potential of evil. For evil. Uh, And and this is not new with me. I'm not reinventing the wheel. This is, as I've said, this has been discussed and debated for for thousands of years. I I believe that God is in control and ordained the potential for evil. Now, to deal with this position, y'all with me? What are we dealing with? The problem of evil, right? Say that, problem of evil. To deal with the problem of evil from this position, we need to discuss again omniscience. And I have mentioned it several times, but omniscience means what? All-knowing. God is all-knowing, and, and, and most of or, people of orthodox belief systems would say that's absolutely right. God is all-knowing. But listen to me. What that means is that not only is God all-knowing about anything that will ever happen, okay? That's, that would be all-knowing. Not only does he know everything that's happening right now, he knows everything that will ever happen, right? That's, if you're omniscient, you have all knowledge. But it not only means that, it means that he knows everything that could ever happen, would ever happen. (laughs) It means that that he knows not only what will happen, but he knows what would happen. He knows every possibility of every scenario, of every possible world that he could have created. Okay, For instance, God knows what my wife Cindy's life would have been like if she had married someone besides me. Clearly, it would have been a less fulfilling life. <laughs> but God knows what, what that life is. And not only that, He knows what the lives of the children she would have had had she had those children with another man besides me. Now listen, I know this boggles the mind, but I hope that it introduces us at least a little bit to the greatness of our God. Just how awesome and great he is that he can know this. That he can know everything that is or or even the possibility of what would be. So, in in this uh, argument against the problem of evil, in dealing with this solution for the problem of evil, what we're saying is is that, that God, in his sovereignty, and he is sovereign, he is in control, that in his sovereignty, he knew all of the possible worlds that he could create. He would know that. And he would know that the, that the world that created the best potential for the greatest revelation of his glory would be a world where men and women would have free will. That's what I'm saying. You see, I, I don't think it's just that God wanted to expose his glory. I believe God... Want it to express his glory his his glory is expressed through his attributes, right one of his attributes is his creative ability. God is a creative God. we look around us the world that is around us the complexity the 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 the, the depth the beauty it, it all points to an amazingly creative God, does it not? so God created not because he had a need but because it 's who he is he 's a creative god, and so he creates and so in his sovereignty looking whenever that was that the Godhead would do this, looking at all the possible worlds that he could make, he chose the one that would best provide the greatest potential for the greatest amount of his glory to be not only exposed, but expressed. He could express his love. He could express his mercy. He could express his justice. He could express his righteousness in this world. And that world is a world where man had to have a choice. I'm sorry, there's no way around this. Man had to have a choice if it's going to be free will absolute true free will man has to have a choice to follow or to not follow to accept or to reject to believe or not to believe to do right or to do wrong by doing so god creates a world where men can see his glory recognize his glory and then choose to believe that 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 life with him is better than life Without him. Okay. Uh, earlier I, I mentioned a little bit of the quote from the. Or I, I quoted the Doug Ehrlichson. He said God's purpose in creating this world. Is to most fully manifest his glory. And that the world he created accomplishes his purpose. It might surprise some reform people. To hear me say I agree with that. But as I said not to simply expose us to his glory. But to express it. Through the attributes that who he is. And it thereby creates this world. Where I can. Choose to accept god now the argument an argument that would come back would be well doesn't that mean that god's not in control if i have free will choice if i can make free will choices doesn't that mean that that god's no longer in control and to that i would say no because it was it was in his sovereignty that he determined this plan in the first place that the 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 that the, the best plan was to create a world where men had free will choice. It was, it, that, was that was his plan from the first place. And plus, because he is omniscient, he is always ahead of every decision you and I ever will make. Every free will decision we ever make, God already knows it. It's, it's, it's called foreknowledge. By the way, foreknowledge is not the same thing as saying foreordained. That he that he ordained it before it happened. It means that he knows choices that men will make and therefore is able to be ahead of those choices. So, I like to say it like this. God is so sovereign that he can allow me to have free will and it not violate his sovereignty. It, it is amazing. It may sound like a contradiction to you, but, but, but in, in the mind of God, it's not that he could allow that. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Joseph and his brothers in the book of Genesis. J- Joseph's brother's... Chose to hate him. Joseph's brothers chose to be jealous of him. Joseph's brothers chose to to want to kill him, but ultimately sold him into slavery. They chose to do that. And years later, when they come face to face with Joseph through circumstances that only God could have created, uh, we find this in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. This is Joseph speaking, As for you, uh, brothers, you meant evil against me, Your intent was evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Displaying his goodness, his his glory is manifested, the goodness of his glory is manifested through him uh, acting in coordination with decisions that those people were making. God's ahead of it, he knows what's going to happen and what he's going to do. Of course, most of you are familiar with Romans chapter 8, just bring it out. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's ahead, he's ahead, he's ahead, he's ahead of everything. He's never caught off guard, he's never surprised. All of us would agree with that and how that works out. So so I believe that the and I said last week that the problem of evil breaks down into two parts. There's the intellectual part and there's the personal or emotional part. I believe this for me, this best resolves the intellectual part because it says that God is all-knowing, God is all-benevolent, God is all-powerful, but evil exists in the world because man chose to rebel against God and allowed evil to enter into the world and suffer the consequences thereof. But God in His sovereignty is before all those things and ahead of all those things and working all those things out so that He can display His glory, the, greatest, the degree of His glory to the greatest number of people. That's the, that's the intellectual aspect. But the personal aspect of it that I mentioned last week may cause someone in here still to say, all right, okay, I don't know if I agree with you or not, but I hear what you're saying. You're saying that God uh, didn't ordain the presence of evil, but he ordained the potential for evil. I get that. But still, Clay, still, if he is all-loving and all-knowing and all-powerful, why doesn't he act? Why doesn't he do something? Okay, maybe, we, maybe we're the ones to introduce this, but if he is all good, all powerful, why doesn't he act in certain situations? Why doesn't he do something? That's the personal aspect of this, this problem of evil. Let me, let me just say real quickly that first off, I, I think he does. I, I think he does. We, I think someday in heaven, we will be amazed to find all the places where God intervened in ways that we didn't even know what he was doing and how he was accomplishing this thing. I think he does intervene in ways that we don't... I, 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 will, I will, to my dying day, believe that God intervened in my motorcycle accident because there is no rational reason for me to be alive uh, or at least not be missing a leg. So uh, I, I, do, I believe He does so in ways that we may not always understand. Secondly, I, I would say this. Partial free will is not really a thing. It's not. I, I mean, you can't... It, either, either we have this... Under the sovereignty of God, either we have this this ability to to accept or reject or choose or not choose or do good or do evil, or we don't. God does not limit our free will to only good decisions. I'm going to let you make any good decision you want to make. But if you try to make a, a bad decision or an evil one, I've I got to pull the brakes on you there. You understand what I'm saying? Partial free will is not really a thing. And then uh, third, I would say God is working uh, things in ways we cannot comprehend. Now, this, this may not bring a bit of comfort to you, those of you that have experienced significant tragedy or evil or in your life. This may not bring any comfort to you to say that God is oftentimes working in ways that we cannot understand. We may not like it, but because He's ahead of everything, I believe, because He knows everything and all possibilities of everything, God is working things in ways that we cannot understand. What we can do is trust that God knows what He's doing, that trust that God is good, trust that God is working to accomplish purposes uh, beyond what we can see. What we, what we can do, what we should do, what we better do, is pray and trust, and pray and trust, and pray and trust some more. That God, I may not understand all this or how it all came to be or, or what, what all this means or, or even perhaps which of these positions is, is right. Maybe you did ordain evil. Maybe you just ordained the potential for evil. I don't know, God, but what I know is that you're on your throne. You're in charge. You're in control and I can trust in that. And in the midst of all of it, and this will close, in the midst of all of it, in the midst of whatever trials or tragedies or, or difficulties or hurts or injustices or whatever else you have faced in your life, Or will face in your life. In the midst of all of that, hold on to this promise given to the Apostle John as an old man after he had experienced much injustice and evil in his own life. Hold on to this promise. In Revelation chapter 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. The first things have what? Passed away. away. And he who sits on the throne, he who sits on the throne, said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true.
0: The problem of evil is a subject that requires serious consideration. There are people in the world who reject God because of the existence of evil. As followers of Jesus, you and I have an obligation to help people understand that our God is good. He is all good, as well as all-knowing and all-powerful. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, God, in His omniscience, knew that the world that would allow for the greatest number of people to be saved was a world that He would have to allow for the potential of evil. Man chose to rebel against God. All of us did. And sin entered the world. The world has been living with the resulting evil ever since. But as we were reminded today, God is always ahead of the evil in this world. And He is able, as it says in Romans 8, to work all things together for the good to those who love Him, to those called according to His purpose. Our God really is the great I Am. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the-
0: Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our
1: culture to the cross.